0: and welcome back to the CFC podcast I almost called it the afterword but welcome glad you're here sorry it's been a while summer's been busy uh, here with bart hello and nick hello and i think bart you said this is this right that this is the only week that all three of us are here all week so it well, we can't be right. VBS. vbs sorry VBS. vbs but that that didn't feel but like where were it. we yeah uh, we can't record it in vbs unless you're yeah. nick Throwing dodgeballs at people. Mm-hmm. We were all in
1: town last week. I just had COVID. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Feel better?
1: Never felt bad. Oh. <laughs> it was, it was a brilliant. Basically just a positive test. So.
0: Well, with all of the traveling, uh, here's the, the banter question. Where? You can go anywhere in the world. Where would you go?
1: Nick? Chaco Springs. <laughs>
0: Easy, <laughs> best food this side of something. Mm. <laughs> you
1: get you get the chance to go there oh, next week. Next week, Shaco, you lucky annual dog. pilgrimage.
0: Uh huh. Yep. uh Pray for us, mm. Nick. Or uh, well, you're not Nick. Where, where would you go? Where, seriously, you got anywhere? I didn't know
1: this was a question. Okay. Didn't um,
0: think about it, Bart.
2: Uh, probably European vacation of some sort. Yeah. So, Paris, Rome. I've, I've never been. I've been to Europe once, but it was on a you know short-term mission trip, and it's not. Where'd you go? Romania. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: um, not exactly sightseeing. Like the, the Rome film, of the Transylvania oh, of the Aeneas. Aeneas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: So, like uh, all the you know Western civilization kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably do something like that. Mm. Something. Never Greek. Been? Greek roman mm. something
0: yeah that sounds fun ryan i've always said i want to go to norway but i don't if you ask me why i have fjords, no actual right? reason fjords would be nice they, they look pretty <laughs> that's in all pictures. i know about it yeah it's you know the, i don't know uh something something when i was a kid said i should go there and that's been my answer you should really you should really I, think about that i probably should yeah <laughs> need so. a better answer laura always says rome so i'll say rome uh go.
1: Hey, we can all go together sounds like we all want to
0: go how about that 20- um, year church trip uh, okay uh, we are going to we said this I think when we first switched over to the stream and spent a few weeks talking about SBC stuff but uh, the hope is that what we wanted to get to is this which is talking about our statement of faith and uh, the reason that I that I've kind of proposed this that so we're going to be doing this is we spent you know a year and a half walking through the, the Bible through books of the Bible looking at um, kind of the drama, the story, and narrative of Scripture. And then that type of, that story gives rise to doctrines, to different things that we believe. And uh, it's not, the the Bible is not just like a systematic theology textbook. It is a story. It's, a, it's something laid out for us. But the things that we say we believe about who God is, about who we are, uh, about where the world is headed, what's wrong, what's wrong with the world, um, those are, coming up from the story itself and not just kind of the drop-down doctrinal statement. So I think that it makes sense for us to talk about this here after we've uh, spent so long talking about the story of the Bible. But before we jump into our statement of faith itself, I wanted to just do an introductory episode. Uh, so this may be a little shorter, but I wanted to talk about why it is that we would want to talk about doctrine.
1: Wait a minute. Sure. W- what do you mean by doctrine? What is that word when you say that word, what do we mean by that?
0: You have an MDiv and don't know what doctrine
1: is? I <laughs> I may know what doctrine is, but, but not every one of our listeners days. has an MDiv. I'm kidding, Ryan.
0: Uh, doctrine, according to the the Apple Dictionary, which <laughs> just, just what they would have about. done, probably. So, <laughs> which I why don't you I give mean. us? What is this what, Good one.
1: How about just what? What do you mean when you're saying? Yeah, if I say doctrine, 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 so like
0: what? What is it that Christians have believe yeah. about? Usually, certain things. So. Yeah. Uh, if somebody says, well, what do you think about God? Well, I, there's a doctrine. This is just a, the statement of belief that Christians have about well, who God is, about man, about sin, about salvation. So it's a uh, a set of beliefs around a particular topic or something like that. Yeah. Um, Bart, you you mentioned in, um, in the membership class, and I think you still say this. I do. The, he does. Yeah. Uh, that the the most important thing about a church is what it believes. So if you're looking on a church's website, there's always yeah. lots of stuff you can go find. In almost every church you can find kids ministry and here's kind of who we who we are, some things we're doing. There's actually a fair amount of churches where I've gone and said like there's mm. I can't really find a statement of belief. You say that's the most important thing. Can you unpack that? Why you think that is the most important thing um about a church?
2: Yeah, because what you believe affects what you do. So,
0: and that's not always the case.
2: I mean, uh, but ordinarily. Um, so, I mean, we, we can always act counter to what we believe. Um, but I think over time, you know, it just, it just kind of comes out. And that's true personally. I think that's true for a church. And so, you know, um, personally, think about it how you pray is, is really derivative of how uh, what you believe most deeply about God. So, is he distant? Is he? Intimate, is he a genie, is he a wise father? We're going to talk about some of those things um, this week when we talk about the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus introduced that, our Father who is in heaven. And so that is that presupposes um, a framework, an understanding of who God is. And so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So you see how practical it is right there. Um, what you believe about the Bible affects how you preach it. Uh, is it sufficient? Is it inspired? Is it authoritative? And so on. Um, What you believe about sin affects how you um, shape discipleship. So Nick thinks about when we do growth groups, um, so our small group times. Um, His understanding of sin uh, affects that. So how we don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of things uh, that go into that. How obviously there's forgiveness in Christ and so forth. Uh, what you believe about salvation affects how you do evangelism, it can, and it certainly affects how you preach, and so is my goal to get them down here to do some kind of prayer, and so forth? Um, is it a longer road? I mean, my understanding of conversion, you know, those kind of things. Uh, what you believe about eternity affects personally how you budget, how you suffer, um, what you think about your children, and certainly what you think about God affects how you think about justice and government and you know, myriad of things. So, um, there's nothing wrong with a mission statement. Nothing wrong with the vision statement. We have both, um, but I, I do. I think if you tell me what a church believes, um, and and maybe as much unwritten as written, um, sure. Uh, but you know what what they truly, deep down, believe. I think you'll see from that uh, structures and systems and ways of life that flow from it. So, um, and I think that's clearly why um, Paul exhorts elders in Titus chapter one. To pay careful attention to doctrine, um, both false doctrine and true doctrine, and so doctrine matters deeply. It shapes the way that we live
0: our lives. Yeah. Uh, Nick, kind of piggybacking off that, some ways, uh, you you have the you and Will have probably the biggest part in weekly liturgy. What role would you say uh, our belief plays out in the planning and even just kind of execution of what we do on Sunday mornings? Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, so if if doctrine shapes the way we live our lives, you we could definitely say doctrine shapes the way we organize our worship service. And so uh, I was kind of doing this thing with our interns a couple of months ago. Uh, but if you kind of can imagine like just like a drawing right in front of you of like like a mountain, like a you know, a line coming up and then like a bell curve, I guess. Uh, it'd be easier if you could see me, but you're listening to me. Um, and so Uh, You kind of got this bell curve, goes up to the top, comes down to the bottom. And we can kind of think of our worship service in that way. And it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a fitting illustration. Uh, You think about Jerusalem is a mountain, Uh, Mount Zion. As we think about heaven, that's a mountain is uh, the, the, the the imagery we're given, you know, Psalm 24, two or three, uh, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Um, So this idea of coming up to God to worship. Um, And so, Um, Kind of use that illustration to kind of just illustrate how our worship service flows. And so we kind of come in uh, approaching God and we even stop with just like a time of silent reflection and say, hey, like this, this matters. This is important. It's not something to hurry into. Uh, And so God is not something just to be trifled with or something just we just kind of stumble upon. But we need to think about our approach to him. Um, so that's why we do that silent reflection. And then we're called to worship. Uh, so there's usually a passage of scripture that's going to teach us something about who God is. And so the doctrine of his character, what's what's his nature, what's he like, what's he done? And so that's just what's going on in that call to worship. It's kind of approaching this mountain, and the call to worship kind of calls you to lift your eyes and look like, whoa, this, thing's, this is big up in front of me here. Uh, and so... Have that call to worship, but then we have what we call the prayer of adoration or and and invocation. So it's kind of both ends. So a prayer of praise, but it's also a prayer of invocation, saying, "God, help us. Like we can't climb this mountain. We can't even give you the praise you deserve. So help us to do that." And so. um so as we we're approaching the mountain, that's kind of the, the kind of the first movement in the worship service. But even right after that, you're reminded of this, this greeting from the Lord. And so um, kind of to, to maintain that mountain imagery. And so if you think about uh, Exodus 19 and 20, right after the people of God have been brought out of slavery, they're brought to Mount Sinai. And up on this mountain, uh, at the beginning of that whole narrative, God says, don't come near this. Like, don't, don't come near. Only Moses goes up. Don't come near Um, and so that's kind of the foreboding sense of that mountain. But then like a few chapters later, Exodus 24, you get this picture of God says, actually bring up Aaron and some other folks, bring up 70 of the elders and bring them on up here. And then the passage says in Exodus 24, nine through 11, that they, those men beheld God and that they ate and drank with him. And so the God's greeting, mutual greeting kind of, kind of reminds us of that. Like, yes, this is a foreboding presence, but God says, come on. Mm -hmm. come to me. Uh, And so, and then even that invitation is not a solo invitation. It's a corporate invitation. And so uh, God is a hospitable God and expects us to be a hospitable people. And so that's why we do the mutual greetings. (laughs) We had one person tell us at one point, like, I don't come into the worship service until after the greeting time, just because I don't like it. Mm. Um, Which I understand, but I also would like, firmly disagree and just want to tell everyone like the one of the things one of the reasons we do that is because god is hospitable mm-hmm. welcome one another as god and christ has welcomed you romans fifteen seven. and so um so we include that time because we think it's it's teaching us something god wants us here and he wants us here together and so we should want each other here and so um so kind of, then we start we turn into our our singing so in a way we're starting to climb the mountain right we're trying to this first couple songs you praise oriented we're worshiping god for who he is, some sort of um, detail about his character, his nature, his actions. And so we sing those songs, and we we kind of stop off again. We read some scripture, and so that public reading scripture is just God speaking to us. And then uh, we have the prayer, confession, and assurance part. And that that area of the service is really informed by doctrine uh, in a lot of ways. And so uh, if you're thinking about it like the mountain again, it's like you've gone up a few steps and you realize I can't do this. I don't belong here. There's way too much sin burden in me, way too much unworthiness in me for me to make this climb. And so what do we do with that? We don't just turn around and walk away. We say, God, forgive me. God, here's what I've done. So that's the confession part. And so we usually are called to confess through some text um, of the, of scripture that might even coincide somehow with the sermon theme and um, so we're called to confess our sin, um, and then we do that. We actually spend a lengthy amount of time praying and telling God about the things we've done wrong, uh, and then we're assured of pardon, right? And so that's a, um, each step of the way we're realizing we don't belong here, uh, but God in his mercy is saying, yeah, but I've done something to make it possible for you to belong here and for you to climb up. And so that's where we really zero in on the gospel, zero in on the cross, uh, zero in kind of doctrinally, on the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ and how that makes us clean, washes us clean. And so I really see doctrine showcased there. Um, and that's one of the things I hear from people regularly about our worship services. Like, uh, it, it's not unique. Sure. Churches have done it forever. Right. Um, but I think um, it's less and less common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think people are, are one refreshed by the chance to be honest i think they're refreshed by the doctrine that comes to us and the reminders of the gospel and so um yeah so you hit that the prayer confession you're kind of still making your way up that mountain uh if you kind of follow that visual image with me uh and then after we've confessed our sin we confess our faith using the words of the apostles creed and so uh that is just if you want to say like how could you answer the question what is doctrine what do you mean by doctrine we say Here's the Apostles' Creed, right? <laughs> like it's us saying, these are the shorthand of what we believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we haven't always done that in a worship service, but we have in, for the last year and a half, two years, Something more than that, to. yeah. We um, always did during baptism. Several years, yeah, we always did it during baptism, and now we do it every week. But we think it's just a, a good place to be reminded of all that is necessary for us to believe, um, for, for us to be Christians. So the Apostles' Creed is, is a really good, just kind of shorthand for that, and we think it's, and just kind of put pushing uh, helpful doctrine in all of our minds, and even like our kids' minds. It was one of the main impetuses for wanting to put this in the worship service was to uh, have our kids learn the Apostles' Creed, many of whom have. Uh, mm-hmm. So after that, we sing some more, and so we're kind of still working our way up this mountain, and then we stop for that prayer of illumination. So that prayer that Will does is not a throwaway prayer. Uh, it is a Deeply theological doctrinal prayer. Uh, It doesn't mean that it has to be super long uh, because it's usually not. It's usually not, but it is a prayer where we say we can't discover this truth on our own. We can't work this truth out on our own. God has to show it to us. So that's what we ask him to do. Then we read the preaching passage, and then we preach God's word, sometimes around 45 minutes, sometimes around 29 if you were at church this past Sunday. Um, But we want to preach uh, doctrinally accurate, true sermons. Uh, We want to be helpful to people. And so, like I said, doctrine informs the way you live. So it's not just going to be these seminary-style lectures, even though Bart's capable of that, uh, but that's not what he's doing in the the sermons. Um, He's trying to teach us truths about God, and then, how do those truths affect our lives? And so, um, so we spend uh, the that kind of per per minute, the, the most amount of time we spend in the service is at that worship service. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, at that sermon time, um, and that's kind of the cornerstone of the service. You can kind of think about it that way. It's kind of like that uh, underneath, undergirding everything we're doing. Um, but then we move from that to what I would call the capstone of the service, which is the Lord's Supper. Uh, and if you remember that Exodus 24 thing where the people were brought up on the mountain, the elders were brought up on the mountain, they beheld God, they ate and drank with him. Guess what we're doing in the Lord's Supper? We're eating and drinking with the Lord. Uh, and so being reminded of the gospel again. And so uh, that meal is a very doctrinally significant thing. Like it, it has all this freight in it from, all, from the Old Testament, from the Passover, um and and that meal, and then brought into the New Testament and New Covenant. And so um, that little little meal is deeply significant, uh, doctrinally, theologically. Uh, and then we respond again in song. And then from there, we kind of start to come down the mountain. So we, we have the offering, the intercessory prayer, and the benediction. And kind of as we've met with God, then God's sending us back out into the world. So that's kind of how you can understand that kind of downward side of the bell curve. So we, we take our gifts that the Lord has given us. We give them back to him in hopes that, he uses those out in the world. We pray as kingdom of priests, uh, interceding on behalf of our church, our city, our nation, and our world. And then we're sent out with that benediction, kind of sent out in mission to do what God has called us to do until we do it all again the next week. And so there's a there's a lot there. Sure, there's a longer answer probably than you were hoping for, Ryan. <laughs> um, good. You said this would be shorter episode. This would be a shorter episode. I but, lied. Um, but <laughs> here I am. So, yeah, so like all of that is uh, deeply informed by doctrine, and so yeah, as we're as we're bringing in scriptures, we're trying to think what is something that we need to teach on here, what is something that we need to hear, what is something we need to be reminded of, and then move forward into action so the different scriptures and songs we sing um, we have a have a kind of and the doc the angle of doctrine is always in view, sure, think about that, and I guess the 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 main reason and
0: I'm glad you worked through that. I know it's maybe longer than than um than some but but the what you just did is not just. So we certainly have a. We're thinking through like, is this song teaching something that's right or yeah. wrong? Like so that's that's just the the lowest bar. Yeah. It's like if this is not doctrinally right, we're gonna cha- it change yeah. it or yeah. we're not yeah. gonna sing it. Yeah. Um, but beyond just the content the form of our service actually has this doctrinally informed. Yeah. Right. So the, the, I think the mountain imagery is kind of pointing that out that we're, we're saying we're doing this, uh, we're putting things in certain places, not just because of
2: easy transitions. Right. 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 We just think that this
0: is the way, this is where everybody closes their eyes and people magically disappear from stage. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) this is, this is where we think that this is uh, moving us, you know, for, and even I uh, like your imagery of the cornerstone ways that you're, you know, so if the sermon is a cornerstone, it's actually kind of, we're, we're framing the, the, yeah. what we, what we sing, what we're, what scriptures we're reading kind of on what we're preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So thanks for doing all your work on that. I know we, uh, hopefully you hear that a lot, but your, yep. uh, your work is very much appreciated. You too, Will, if you listen to these. He doesn't. Okay, He's well. working on his podcast. Thanks, Will. Uh, <laughs> Competitor, competitive. I've uh, heard right. about that podcast.
1: <laughs> the joke uh, podcast that so uh-huh. they're going to start the other word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so apparently Will Will
0: Billy and Jared maybe, maybe one day you'll get Will Billy and Jared on the other word uh if you're <laughs> if you're if you're lucky. Uh not so we talk about doctrine and I would say that the the bulk I, I think almost everyone at the church they they have to go through a membership class that talks about this for a while. But um so there, it's not that everyone is a fan of doctrine, though. So, I want to give, just give two critiques. Uh, maybe you've talked to people like this. Maybe if you're listening to this, maybe you've had some people who, uh, if you if you even talk mm-hmm. about doctrine, they're wondering why on earth you care about why you're reading that book. That's sure, uh, you know, heady and not, you said not useful. Maybe. Sure. So, one, uh, just the, I'm going to give you these two critiques, Bart, and let you respond to them. But so one is that doctrine is divisive. Um, I forget. I feel like this this was something in the. Mid, there, this was an official slogan some, at some council of churches in the mid 20th century when t- looking at ecumenism. But so doctrine divides, but love or service or sure. something fill in the blank unites. So the with right. the, the stated belief that if we want to work together, we need to kind of set aside some of these doctrinal things and find something else that's uniting. So what what would you respond to that?
2: Well, uh, one, it's a valid point to raise. Um, in a sense. And that is that we can be overly divisive um, if we're not careful. And so I would say, you know, spend five or ten minutes on Twitter yeah. and you'll figure that out. Um, I mean, it's just like every week there's some... I mean, maybe it's just the people I follow. Maybe I need to do a cleansing. Yeah. Um, but um, but it's just interesting. I mean, and, and there's a need to... Feel, <laughs> a perceived need to weigh in on every controversy. Uh, I just don't feel that. But um, But Christians have... Um, have often debated and, and sometimes tr- struggled to figure out where the line is between being overly divisive and and, and pursuing unity. Uh, Augustine said, in, in essentials unity, so that's one of his famous sayings, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. And um, that's, that's a helpful you know, way of putting it. Um, and really, I think Jesus uh, gets to that second line or that second uh, encouragement in, non-essential, in non-essentials in liberty. Um, in Matthew 15, um, 7 through 9, he says, You hypocrites, speaking of the Pharisees, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And then this last part, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Um, and it seems to be, again, dividing people, uh, you know, so spiritually good, not, whatever. Um, and so... Yeah, we recognize that that can be it, doctrine can be weaponized. Sure, and and at the same time, there is a good and right longing for unity. So Jesus prayed that we would be one, um, so that that the biblical tender conscience should want the same. Um, Paul says in Titus to mark divisive men and simply to avoid them. So. Um, we need to be careful about that. And if if we are known for our divisiveness, and if we're known for pushing people into corners, um, and if we're known for endless purity tests uh, regarding our own doctrinal purity, then you know people should steer clear of us. But unity implies unity in something, and so unity absent identifiers of unity is meaningless, uh, and it's unbiblical. And so I'd answer the warning about divisiveness with warnings about emptiness. And so to go to the extreme, Muslims and Mormons believe in Jesus to some extent. They believe certain things about Jesus. Mormons are a cult, and Muslims follow a false religion. Yeah. Um, and so heaven and hell are at stake mm-hmm. in this. And so um, you know we, we don't need to fall into the cultural trap, really, of... Well, just stay away. Be as vague as possible. Um, unity at all cost, um, and I think that that's really no different than the secular creed of love wins. Um, it's just downplay anything that is difficult. Downplay anything that that does focus on truth versus error. So, uh, I mean, I think that's the that's one way to answer the doctrines overly divisive. You mentioned the other. Um, which is, um, I've not
0: mentioned it yet, but I will. You said two, so. yeah. So here is the second one. Uh, the second, sorry, the the second Go one ahead. is, um, so, so when I was in seminary in Chicago, like met a guy at the at a church we were going to, um, and and you know, he mentioned how careful you have to be at seminary because it's a cemetery. Because you're mm-hmm. learning, and so that's uh, a timeless joke. It is a timeless joke. It has been used by many people, but uh, I, I think the the sense, the thing that he's worried about is that doctrine can lead to minds full of information, uh, but hearts that are indifferent or or maybe even cold. Um, so, what should we? Yeah, about should you, we think? I had
1: one guess. don't become a theological bobblehead, meaning like just like so full, mm-hmm. that like you're yeah. disproportionately. And to be and heady, yeah, I'll go ahead and say like that. That's a legitimate
0: concern, obviously. But uh, 100%. and I, I had people who I started seminary with, who uh, I did not finish seminary with, mm. and who I think you had uh, did have lots of knowledge and weaponized it in some ways. But anyway, sorry. To, yeah, no, I think fam-
2: familiarity can breed contempt. Sure. Um, yeah. and so um, familiar with the holy things. And so there are plenty of Old Testament examples of where that would uh, be illustrated um leviticus 10 might be one of those places um so um but the gospels are also littered it's not just the old testament gospels are littered with bible experts who miss the whole point of the bible jesus mm-hmm. said you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find each, that you have eternal life rather and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you have eternal life mm-hmm. and then paul of course in first corinthians 13 uh, says if i have prophetic powers understand all mysteries all knowledge And if I have faith, so it's to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so uh, Jesus castigates the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, strongest denunciation that Jesus issues. Um, And that's all about people who were the experts. Um, Nicodemus for some time Mm -hmm. comes to Jesus in the dark, um, you know, uh, tellingly. Uh, And he was the teacher in Israel, uh, definite article. And so... um, possible, but that's not all that needs to be said. And so the the unnecessary separation, you know, between head and heart, it's just ultimately artificial. Your heart loves something, even someone. You know, Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Uh, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John is one sustained argument that Jesus is the truth, uh, culminating in, Maybe maybe culminating, but at least clearly expressed in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Jesus says, "Sanctify them, save them." That's what that means. Um, save them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is the living word, um, testified by the written, testified to by the written word. So, you know, in a, on a personal level, I can't reasonably say that I love my wife and know nothing about her. Um, you know, it's actually the deeper. And deeper knowledge that progressively deepens my love for her, and so you know uh, when we and put it in reverse, when we want people to know about us, whether that's our day or our story, you know our life story, what we're really wanting in that moment is for people to love us. you know we're telling that, and you know why do I need to tell about my day? you know because I want that I want somebody to love me, I want somebody to care. You know, uh almost meant to care that the traffic was bad. Uh, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um but uh so I just think we need to just to be mature enough to recognize that distinction as an unhelpful one. Mm-hmm. Um and really as an artificial one. Know the dangers. Yes, you can be cold. Right. Um but you know, you can be cold and you can also just be indifferent. I mean it is that, that's a uh that is a a definite Possibility, um, but you can also see saints throughout all of history yeah. who have given themselves to the word, given themselves to doctrine, even, and whose hearts were aflame. Um, and so I don't. It, it it really comes back down to the heart. Yeah. It doesn't come back down to you know is there danger in reading, um, you know, according to plan? Yeah, by Graham Goldsworthy.
0: Yeah, it's good. Um. Another term. So I'm gonna we'll divide this. We just, I, th- I think this may be helpful just as we talk in coming mm-hmm. weeks and months. Uh, so the term doctrine. Would you say it's interchangeable with theology? Is that the same type word, roughly?
2: Uh, you know, I generally think of theology maybe in a more broader okay. sense. You know, doctrine might be a little narrow. Sure. Um, or I should say. But, so nah, with, I mean, sure. <laughs> close enough. Yeah.
0: Uh, if you're when we talk about the trinity or christ there's there's multiple ways of kind of looking at what's going on so uh maybe take a minute there's i guess the way i put it there's different streams of theology kind of Mm -hmm. different ways of of studying and thinking about this so uh three different streams i want you to just lay out and talk about uh, although there's many more that Mm -hmm. you can go find but so systematic uh, and these systematic theology uh biblical theology and then historical theology
1: do you know anything about systematic theology lord good question Uh, Y'all know as much as I do. All right, so
2: systematic theology. Not true. Bart has his Ph.D. in systematic theology. So systematic theology is just theology by subject matter. It's typically, you know, um, if you get like a contemporary book on systematic theology, so Wayne Grudem's, you know, you're going to see divisions generally of Bible, God, um, man, sin, Jesus, or Christ. um, And then you got the Holy Spirit, salvation, church, and last things. So, um, you know, you have kind of those big subject matter or subject areas. And so it's going to ask questions like, what does the whole whole Bible maybe is is the key word Mm -hmm. or the operative phrase. So what does the whole Bible say about hell or justification or the Trinity or spiritual gifts or something like that? And so, yeah, Wayne Grudem's um, very popular level systematic theology. He has like three even levels within that. Um, the bigger one is called systematic theology less the sort of the middle one it's called Christian doctrine I believe I heard it's Bible doctrines now Bible doctrines may have been all it probably was always Bible doctrines I think I'm confusing that in another one um, and then he has another one it's like 20 questions or something it's got 20 issues or something so it's a really short one mm-hmm. gotcha. um, but anyway um, Grudem's is, is a popular example of that his is uh, I use that in um, systematic theology in seminary. Um, now, Nick did not have that. He'll get on to historical theology in a second. Ryan, do you have systematic theology at So you at did. Ted's. You went to Beeson and then went uh-huh.
0: to Trinity. Yes. Where did so you take your theology? do you do both? I did historical theology oh, at man, Ryan is Beeson super and systematic at TEDS. What did you all use for systematic, by the way? Uh, we used a, We did not have a okay. central textbooks. We just used a different works for different different doctrines got
2: it okay um so you know an original or not original uh, obviously the most famous uh would be calvin's institutes Mm -hmm. um and so um which went through many editions um but certainly set a trajectory um for how theology um especially systematic theology would be done Mm -hmm. so that's that so what's the whole bible say but then there's historical theology. So Nick took historical theology. That's what Beeson kind of mm-hmm. emphasizes. Yeah. And so you're talking about it's kind of one step removed. doesn't ignore the Bible at all. That's not what the point is. But it, it asks the question, what has the church believed about something, whatever that doctrine is, mm-hmm. over time? Yeah. Right. So now you probably read tons of primary sources, Nick. Mm-hmm. So you would read things like what?
1: Augustine, a lot of Calvin, a lot of Luther. Um, so, like, the first one was, like, there's four classes, so patristics, so like, you know, around your Augustine time mm-hmm. period. Um, then, yeah, there was uh, medieval. That kind of changed it. It gets rough, years. yeah. Was so like tough. Uh-huh. Uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, right? Was that that time period? Is that he even did earlier? did some of the Cappadocian Yeah, Cappadocian oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: So they split it up that early, I guess. There's, yeah. there's a lot more in...
1: It's basically just Augustine <laughs> for patristics, <laughs> Pretty yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the medieval yeah. includes like Anselm, yeah, Aquinas, mm-hmm. Aquinas, uh, not not a ton of Aquinas, but some. really. Um, <laughs> uh, Reformation, Reformation, so Luther, Calvin, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, um, mm-hmm. and then modern, which was all over the place, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah, so yeah, that's what it does. So it just traces. So say a doctor of the church. Uh, yeah. And probably more specific than that you don 't have doctrine uh, so let 's say baptism yeah. you know um what's the church believe about baptism and do that in sort of a diachronic fashion so through time mm-hmm. um and then um so development of doctrine is 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 particularly important, mm-hmm. and then there's biblical theology, which um really has the best title um you know shouldn 't all theology be be biblical right. but uh um, more is meant here it 's really a theological discipline that traces development of biblical ideas, themes in particular, from, say, Genesis to Revelation. It doesn't have to be that way, but, say, Genesis to Revelation, or within a particular writer. Um, And so uh, you might have the idea of temple or tabernacle uh, from Genesis to Revelation, so God dwelling and things like that. Um, And so how does that develop over time, and how is that used... Really, what you're looking at in that case maybe is like how do later biblical writers use earlier biblical material and mm-hmm. just kind of develop that theme, or you might even just focus say what's a Pauline or you know doctrine was the doctrine of adoption look like in Paul um, versus say you know another biblical writer or something like that. Yeah. Um, so all of those work together though, and we really need all three and do all three uh, consciously and unconsciously, and so. Um, systematic theology, you know, we need to know what the Bible says. That's that's the, that's kind of the, the question I think most Christians just want to know. Yeah. Like, well, what's the Bible say about this? Mm-hmm. Well, in order to do that, you really do have to do those other two, or you're 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 constantly wrestling with those other two. Uh, which is okay. Well, what's the Bible say about this, and how's that develop over time um, in the Bible itself? Mm-hmm. And then what have, what have Christians thought about that? Uh, and so you kind of just pulling the lens back. It's what you're really doing. And historical theology in particular helps us to kind of gather insights along the way as well as provide warnings. You know, uh, we're just stupid if we think we're going to, you know, take a blank slate on theology. Like, I'm just going to get my theology from the Bible. Well, you don't have enough lifetimes to pull that off, Um, you know, um, and it is ridiculous, ridiculous not to stand on the shoulders of saints who have gone before, whether that is John Calvin or your grandmother. Sure. You know, um, and so uh, there's a body of knowledge, there's a body of doctrine uh, that we can praise God for, and then historical theology helps just warn us. You know, so mm-hmm. if we come up with something that's really novel. That is not good, and so um, okay. that's the, there's another word for that. Sometimes, not depending on the level of wrongness, and that would be heresy, and so sure. you want know, to avoid that.
0: Yeah, and I find even just the historical stuff. This is something that Beeson did help me with, and thinking through church history. A lot of people who I know and love who are like, I've never thought about this before. And I, this is just thinking apologetically, or some mm-hmm. argument coming to them. What about this thing? Like, man, we people have been thinking about the Bible and yeah. church just for two thousand years, and a lot of the new stuff to you or to me, even that that you say I've never thought about this question. There's somebody who has probably.
2: You know, and it and it even filters down into things like ethics, uh, yeah. which is you know it's a sort of a it's a, it's a kindred spirit here, or you know kin, yeah. a kin doctrine sort of in a way or discipline uh, along with systematic theology or gene theology. Uh, I was thinking about this with um, the Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. decision, yeah. Dobbs decision. Um, you know, you you think okay, this is such a modern issue, this is such a contentious political issue, and it is all it's all of those things. But Christians have wrestled with this. Um, and so you can go to an early Christian manual, um, sort of how, to, how, to, how should Christians live, uh, what's the way of Jesus look like. And so we're talking about, I don't know, what, 70, 80 years after Jesus, uh-huh. at least, you know, or something like that. So let's, let's ballpark and say it's a century, you know, after the time of Jesus. And so after all the, the apostles are dead and so forth. Uh, and they're talking about abortion. Yeah. You know, they're talking about caring for um, those that are, uh, you know, infants. I mean, those those kinds of things. And so, um, it's the same thing with with doctrine. You know, we're not the first people to think about hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, we're not the first people to think about world evangelism.
0: So I'm gonna take that and kind of jump on that and ask last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of doctrinal statements out there. We, uh, you may have already answered the question of why not write our own, just because we yeah, we, right. we benefit
1: from those. But why why picking? Mm-hmm. You can uh, just real quick. You can always tell a church that seems to have written their own, like when you go mm-hmm. look at their website. Um, was, like, that's that's 100 good or bad, <laughs> you know. But yeah, you can usually tell.
0: It's you know, it's I, I see the appeal sometimes, but sure. man, it, it'll probably save you a lot of heartache yeah. if you yeah. say there are a lot of people who've thought about this much longer and much better. Um, yeah, so well, we can go to yeah. stories of that. But so why why pick ours is for uh, is the gospel. Coalition's statement of faith with uh, a yeah. with a twist, I guess. That's right. <laughs> uh, why why that one?
2: Well, so when we were planning the church, 2012, we were certainly wanting some statement of faith, and not just to write our own, and not just to write. Uh, that's a lot on one person. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so um, like something that had been vetted before. Uh, now it's relatively new uh, at the time, mm-hmm. but certainly I have a, a great deal of trust in terms of doctrine. Um, so Tim Keller was isn't part of that, um, and then one of your professors Ryan, uh Don, Don Carson, mm-hmm. um, and so who I regard as maybe the best living New Testament um, you know writer that, or scholar. Scholar. That he didn't write is. the New <laughs> Testament. Sorry, Sorry New <laughs> he wrote Testament about the New Testament writer that writes on New Testament <laughs> issues. Sorry, um, you're fine. That's right. He is not that important. Um, but anyway, uh, I felt it was really. It's so just thoroughly biblical, mm-hmm. um, and in a, and especially there's an article in there, in Article 3, that deals with marriage, deals with sexuality, and just more explicit than others yeah. that I thought that would be helpful going forward, mm-hmm. um, just sort of where the battle is joined oftentimes in terms of just cultural issues. Um, and then, of course, we do have our own statement that makes it Baptistic because it's not, right. um, yeah. so it's for... Anglicans, Presbyterians, Baptists. Sure. Um, the gospel coalition. Exactly. We, it's like gospel it. coalition. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So all could happily agree with that, mm-hmm. but we felt we wanted to be as clear as possible that we do believe that baptism is connected with faith, and so we have a number 12 is, um taken from some other statements as well.
1: Yeah, uh, One of the things I find helpful about even the thought process behind that, and so like in selecting that, that was long before I was on staff, um, and so – like I was, was uh, at uh, like a conference talking to a guy's on staff at a, another church, uh, who had like a more of a, one of a more historic statement of faith. Like I think it's mm-hmm. the New Hampshire, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, so traditionally Baptist, um, but he said, yeah. And in the last couple of years, we've actually had to add two separate things, right? Um, basically, like here's our statement, our church statement on the Bible's view of sexuality, and so we basically have to right. like teach our statement of faith and then teach this extra thing. You have to sign off on both of these things, yeah. Um, places in is a big city, uh, progressive yeah. city, and so, uh, I, I was at least grateful. Like, and we kind of already got out in front of that a little bit, sure. Um, and that's kind of the the one benefit of like the more modern. Mm-hmm. But they're drawing on so many, you know, oh, already yeah. written statements oh, yeah. of faith oh, in are. terms of like the way yeah. things are written, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, um, but it is helpful to have that. Yeah. Hey, this this particular area is where we're headed, um, yep. where the battle's headed, like you said. And, and
2: so. they really are just structured. I mean, if you look at any statement of faith, they're basically structured like a systematic theology. Right. Sure? Mm-hmm. So it's just taken down to statements, whereas you go read a systematic theology, they're just going to take all of those issues and talk about them. Expand the those statements. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: right. Um, all right. I'm sure we'll probably talk about resources as we go, people who have written about specific doctrines, as we'll, we'll spend time in uh, kind of each unit here. But, uh, anything that you would want to recommend at the beginning, uh, one volume or maybe just an author who writes well about doctrine? Yeah,
2: you don't doctrines. have to agree with everything. Um, in fact, I mean that's what you write about what the whole Bible says about everything. Yeah, you know you're going to find some places where people disagree. Um, but Wayne Grudem's is still helpful, um, and I think um, helps you engage and, and have a framework for a lot of those, and and mm-hmm. maybe just leads to further questions and further reading uh, from a. Biblical theology. standpoint. I really like Graham Goldsworthy's uh, "According to Plan." Um, Vaughn Roberts has one called "God's Big Picture." Mm-hmm. So maybe something else. Nick? Michael Lawrence's "Biblical Theology and the Life of the Church." There you go. Um, so those are helpful. I don't know about historical theology um, in terms of a really helpful. So I, I think I might recommend reading some primary, primary sources. sources. That's that's tougher. Yeah. Um, but
1: I haven't actually read Timothy George's Theology of the Reformers, but that's like obviously just one sure. area. Um, and that's the hard thing about it. Like it's such a big. Yeah. Um, like what's that like four volume thing you have? Uh, it's like the the work uh, of Christ got, over the last. I've got 2,000, 2000
0: years of. Uh, two thousand. It's Nick Needham, I think it's 2,000 years of Christ power, I think, but it's a church history over four volumes. Yeah. so, so You're probably not. No one's going to read
1: that. Yeah. Like at least. It's not like in seminary.
0: Go get coffee with Evan Musgraves and he can yeah. give, you give, give you a one-volume. Yeah. Ryan has up. so many books. Uh, I do, but if you want to read some, I'll I'll lend them to you. He
2: also has a shirt with flamingos on Ryan. Right I am now. wearing
0: the flamingo shirt. You probably have seen it before because I wear it on Sunday sometimes. Very much like, like his pineapple shirt. It's it's <laughs> Listen, it's fun to wear in the kids' hallway. Uh, <laughs> it's the, I have I have showed up on a Sunday when I was like, I'm not going to be on stage. and I, uh, And then Nick's like, hey, can you do the – can you just call to worship? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I can. I'm in the flamingo shirt. Is that okay?
1: <laughs> I had a church member the other day say, "I knew Ryan was preaching today based off the shirt he was wearing."
0: <laughs> you know, um, try to try to uh, Keith Pearson can tell by the the font. Yeah, uh-huh. there's there's there's, there's, there's a little tells. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I have no idea when the next episode is going to be because you know it'll be sometime soon. But there's lots going on. You can pray for us as we uh, pray for equip. If you were here this past Sunday, we. Uh, even just thinking about this doctrine stuff and wanting to do uh, discipleship in the life of our church is something that we want to do more of. So we're starting Sunday evening classes. We'll uh, be talking about that in the coming weeks. When should people sign up for that, right? By July 31st. Oh, okay. By July 31st. That would be very helpful for us if you can do it by the end of this month. Um, But we will keep talking through the Statement of Faith in the weeks and months to come. And until next time, grace and peace.